Hey, it's Monday. Stu and I look for look for fun conspiracy theories uh, uh, and invent a couple of our own. Uh, gee, why would they say that this show pushes conspiracy theories? That's crazy. Sounds crazy. It sounds crazy. Uh, also, we have uh, Ajit Pai on. You may not know who he is. Yeah, but he's the uh, head, uh, chairman of the FCC, big part of the Trump administration, uh, one of our favorite Trump administration officials, and that he's done a great job. And one of the things he's done is protect the Internet. Uh, yeah. When the left was trying to take it over, he stood up against that and clearly won the battle. And he's got some concerns and uh, some exciting things to talk about on today's uh, broadcast. Also on the podcast, we talk about the real meaning behind the impeachment and the 14th amendment what they're really trying to do don't want to miss a second of today's podcast here we go you're listening to the best of the glenn beck program Welcome to the program, Mr. Pat Gray from Pat Gray Unleashed, the podcast you can hear on Blaze TV as he records it live before this broadcast, uh, or you can uh, check it out wherever you get your podcast. Hello, Pat. Yeah. Hello, Glenn. How are you? Oh, oh perfect. Just, I mean, so perfect. You know, I'm so glad the media said uh, over the weekend, uh, CNN was talking about how Joe Biden, what he's doing is just boring. There's, yeah. I mean, he's just not doing anything. <laughs> He's just not doing anything that's exciting or, you know, controversial. No. Right. Like, there are just 19 boring executive orders so <laughs> exactly. far. Exactly. And they're that's, all like, they're all a, such hey, a maybe you should order more paper clips. Yeah. You know, exactly. None of them. Mm-hmm. And who cares about paper clips? Except right. for the fact that none of them are about paper clips. They're about things like the border. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Jeez. Right. Well, just release all. all. All people that ICE has in custody. <laughs> yeah, all that's of all. them. No big deal. Yeah, just all of them. Yeah, it's not Everybody. like it's not like he's releasing. Well, he is releasing all of them. <laughs> yes, he is. Uh, but he's not releasing more than all of them. No, that would be controversial. Yes, but this isn't. Uh-uh. This isn't. Nope. nope. He's also inspired uh, caravans again. So we got. Uh, yes, we have that going on. We had one of eight thousand last yeah. week that was broken up a little bit. Uh, we have another <laughs> one of three thousand that launched uh, again, like yesterday. That's great. That's only. That's great. You know, eleven thousand people that are headed. I think it's to wonderful. The United it's, States of America. Hey, by the way, uh, did you did you hear that Jeff Bezos and Amazon little upset? Yeah, I did hear. Yeah, this. little upset. There's a, they're trying to unionize Amazon, and he doesn't like that. I mean, when you got a corporation like Amazon that's working well, mm-hmm. why not throw a little bit? of the postal service in there with it you know what i mean Mm -hmm. let's get a couple of really good unions in there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so um amazon has just filed with the national labor relations board because the unions said what we're going to do because it's so huge instead of having a meeting where everybody votes uh what we'll do is we'll have mail-in ballots and uh And uh, Bezos doesn't like that because he he says mail-in voting, there's too much of a risk of fraud by the labor unions. Yeah, the only way it can be valid and fair Uh is to have an in-person voting system. Right. Well, not only that, not only that. He said um, the concerns about election security run 
uh, particularly high because we don't have a reliable electronic signature platform. Hmm. 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 So Amazon <laughs> doesn't have that. No. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. That's uh, mm-hmm. so I throw that in. I mean, again, some of the stuff gets out of with the election was, you know, crazy. But the, the one they keep saying, like, well, we check the signatures. It's like I buy things every day and they supposedly check the signatures like they, they don't even look at my signature when I sign a credit card mm-hmm. receipt for thousands of dollars. They don't even care. Like they, they check the signatures. I mean, I, I'm not saying that they don't go through a check, but like how reliable is that check? I have literally signed at Mickey Mouse at times. I really have. <laughs> yeah. It, I signed one Jesus at one point. Just, just to see, <laughs> yeah. just to see. I, I, nope. I just, I actually signed it. Jesus McCool. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing. I, I sent my kid up there the other day to buy lunch with my credit card and they gave Ugh. it to him. Like, I, he's not, he didn't get the credit card. He's nine. <laughs> like, they don't care. No one cares. He's on his cell phone. American Express. I know. I know. I, I, writ, I wrote the check. I don't know why it's not there for last month's payment. I just need lunch today. Um, uh, Tim Matheson. For, for, for some reason. Now, Tim Matheson is the guy. Remember, do you know who he is? Yeah. He's yeah. the guy from National Lampoon's Animal House. Animal House. Yeah. yeah. Right. He was Otter in that. Right. Mm-hmm. And and what he's been doing since is. Oh, it's terrific stuff. Right. Whatever it is. So, it, <laughs> so anyway, I've seen all of his film. Yeah. Oh. So, um, so he, he tweeted out, so wonderful to have a first lady with class. And heart, oh, and can speak English. <laughs> oh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Melania Trump. What a dummy! She only speaks five languages. <laughs> only, f- <laughs> yeah, but only idiot. five. <laughs> She's only fluent in <laughs> five. My gosh, and no class. Did no you see class. her? No. You see her out uh, sitting uh, on the washer and dryer that yeah. she put on the back porch of the White House, <laughs> sitting there with a crop top. <laughs> and she's sitting there just drinking a Budweiser. And yeah. I thought, could yeah. we get some class? Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't but, it? But no. 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 Mm-mm. You got a supermodel in the White House, and they hated her guts for four years for no apparent reason whatsoever. Is there any first lady that had more class than Melania Trump? Not that I can think uh, of. She was always classy. Yeah, I think Jackie O would be the only one that I could think of that was was in yeah. her category. Yeah. Jackie O had real yeah. class. But, you know, I was at the White House, and I'm in the Rose Garden. Remember when she redid the Rose Garden? Yeah, yeah. And, and they, what did they say? They said she ruined it, that it was ridiculous, that uh-huh. it was uh-huh. terrible. Do you know what she did? Because I was standing in the Rose Garden. It is beautiful. You know what she did? No, not exactly. Yeah, she uh, uh, restored it to the exact plan of Jackie O. They had changed it since. Wow. So all she did was like, I think Jackie O had the right plan, and they restored it to the Jackie O plan, and that was classless. Unbelievable. I mean, it's just, just unbelievable. I, I just. But the class of Dr. Jill Biden. Wow. Now that. Yeah. I. I yeah. That's amazing. Um, San Francisco hotels are being used to house homeless people. And there's a new executive order that has just been signed by Joe Biden. It's so boring. I, I, I shouldn't even <laughs> read it to you. 
Um, under the order, certain kinds of emergency housing for the homeless are eligible to be fully reimbursed through September. Now, uh, not sure if this executive order, uh, if, if this emergency will, will fit this executive order, but I'm guessing it does. Uh, so now we are going to be paying for the hotel rooms of the homeless in San Francisco. I have to ask you, do you have a line anywhere? Do you have a line on, on taxes where it's just like, okay, okay, no. Because I almost feel like that's taxation without representation. Because I'm mm-hmm. paying for programs in California. I don't get mm-hmm. any representation in California. Why am I paying for policies that I vehemently disagree with in California? California should have to pay their own bill. I don't live in California for a reason. I live in Texas for a reason. You know, Texas brought home all of its own gold. We have our own gold reserve now. We finally got it out of the Federal Reserve. It took us five years, but we got it. And now we have all of our own gold reserves. I did that for a reason, because Texas knew this ain't going to last. Is Texas, Mm -hmm. why does Texas have to pay for the nonsense in California? Is it just me? Because I feel this way about why am I. If 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 they're using federal funds, then no, that's, I mean, that's completely wrong. These ideas, this is why, you know, Madison did not want this to be the outcome, right? Where we just Mm -hmm. send a bunch of money to the federal government and it distributes it all over the, correct, all over the country. Correct. The opposite of the model. Right. And it's it, it, and they're doing it in California. They're going to do it with. And if it's executive order, do I really have representation there? Because they're spending money through executive order. It's supposed to go through Congress. But even if it does go through Congress, um, I don't have any representation in California. Who's right. who's the one going to hold the budget for us? Who's going to be the one that holds the feet to the fire? Who's going to make sure that California has some austerity instead of just continuing to spend money? I mean, I I just think we are setting ourselves up for massive problems because when New York fails, which it will, when Illinois fails, which it will, I have no problem helping a neighbor, but not the neighbors who have been living it up. Not the neighbors who are like, you guys are so stupid. Party! Woo! Why would I help them? I I think New York will probably be fine because I just imagine the sales of the poster that Andrew Cuomo made celebrating how good, what a good job he did on coronavirus. Those are probably selling so much that he can just pay off all the budget problems with that and or his book. Yeah. Just just either just, one. The book about what a great absolutely. job he did with the coronavirus that was released just as they went to the highest peak they've had since the beginning of the By crisis. By the way, speaking of more problems, 7,000 National Guardsmen are going to re- remain in Washington through mid-March now. Yeah. 7,000. So D.C. is essentially an occupied city then. That's <laughs> I, good. I guess. I <laughs> guess. Great. That's what, I guess. That's great. That's what they said Trump wanted to do to mm-hmm. Portland, make it an occupied city. Mm-hmm. Now we have 7,000 National Guardsmen, and DeSantis is calling them back. 
He's like, you're not you're not keeping any of my National Until Guard in March. I mean, I, I understand that, like, maybe the next day they don't leave because that would be kind of an obvious mm-hmm. cue yeah. to everyone if there was going to be a problem. Uh-huh. But mid-March, I mean, what what's the limiting What's the limiting argument here? Like at, at some, how, why would you send them home in mid-March? Then the people are going to come in April, right? Like, yeah. you, there's no limiting yeah. principle here to stop this. So DeSantis is pulling the troops back. Uh, so is uh, so is Texas. Yeah, they're going to lose. Yeah, all the red states are going to be like, no, we're not going to. We're not, we're not an, uh, an everlasting occupying force in this in Washington D.C. Yeah, That's and they're making them sleep in g- parking garages now. Yeah. They moved them out of the marbled floors of the of the Capitol building and put them in a parking garage. Well, they said that the National Guard asked for that. A uh, bull. Crap. Mm-hmm. I'd say that's bull. No, they crap. said that they they wanted the. It yeah. would be we want to sleep in a parking garage. Yeah, it's yeah. more comfortable <laughs> for them. To sleep we'd we'd a, hate to be in a hotel. Put yeah. us in a parking <laughs> yeah. garage. I mean, please, are comfortable. Please, man. we don't want to go to a hotel. That's <laughs> oh, for the homeless. Right. We'd rather sleep <laughs> in the garage. The best of the Glenn Beck program. an honor to have Ajit Pai on with us again, former FCC chairman. Uh, Ajit, how are you? My gosh, they've silenced him already. Oh, hey, Glenn, how are you? There Thanks you are. for having me on. You bet. How are you, sir? <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. Hope you're doing well also on this Monday morning. Um, so you were the uh, chairman of the FCC. Before that, you were the commissioner at the FCC. You were appointed then by Barack Obama. Um, and approved unanimously by the uh, Senate. So everybody agreed that you were a a good guy that could get the job done. Um, You've done some amazing things. I believe that you and and when you were at the FCC, those involved with you, saved the Internet uh, from net neutrality. Tell me about the health of the Internet and where we are today because of those challenges before we look to the future. Well, the Internet, in terms of its infrastructure, is stronger than ever. And this is remarkable when you consider that when we made our decision to repeal these heavy-handed net neutrality regulations back in 2017, the left was caterwauling about how this was the death of the Internet as we know it. That was according to Bernie Sanders. Others said the Internet would slow down to one word per uh, per time. Uh, Others said that you'd have to pay $15 uh, per month just to be able to tweet. Uh, All of these things have fallen by the wayside. Speeds are now twice as fast as they were back in 2017. Internet infrastructure has been built out so that millions more Americans have access. Uh, Obviously, it's a a much different environment than those uh, hyperbolic predictions would have suggested. And to me, at least, the proof in the pudding has been during the pandemic. Our Internet infrastructure has held up despite the increase in traffic. Whereas in Europe, which still has these net neutrality regulations, they had to go hat in hand to companies like Netflix and YouTube and beg them to throttle content because they don't have the infrastructure uh, that's necessary to sustain these loads. So we made the right decision, and I'm glad we did. So are you still hearing the voices where those forces still out there for net neutrality and to bring some of these regulations back? And if so, why? You know, I say we still hear them all the time. Uh, whenever I'm on social media, I see it, uh, and it's incredible. I think it's more of a religious issue with uh, some folks on the left. And what, what does that mean? What do, what do you mean by that? 
Because what I mean by religious issue is there is literally no set of evidence you can ever provide to these people to persuade them that there's not a problem. You know, look at the last three years without these net neutrality regulations. We haven't seen any kind of market failure. We haven't seen broadband providers throttling or blocking content. Uh, nonetheless, they say that these rules are absolutely vital and the Internet's about to die. Meanwhile, these very same advocates are going to the tech giants and telling them, we want you to censor content that we don't like. And so the, the hypocrisy of these advocates is just stunning. It's just, as I said, there's literally no evidence we could provide in terms of faster speeds, more infrastructure, uh, yeah, open internet, all that kind of stuff that would persuade them. And so it's not a reasoned policy debate anymore, in, at least on, in some quarters at least. It's much more of a uh, issue of religion. Do you believe or do you not? And uh, that's unfortunate because we're, after all, we're making policy here. We're not putting our finger in the wind. The hypocrisy is overwhelming. But as you mentioned, there's no evidence you can present. But the evidence is there, right? Like the speeds have gone up dramatically since they promised they would slow down to uh, a trickle. Yeah, and that's the incredible thing. I mean, the speed is the most objective one. There's a group called OOKLA, O-O-K-L-A. The independent company, they do their own assessments of speeds. They were the ones who were saying, hey, the speeds are tracking upward and upward. And I kept pointing this out uh, to some of our critics, and they would say, well, the speeds were going up anyway, and so you didn't have responsibility for that. I said, no, no, if you look at the February February 28th, I think it is, 2018, the entire Senate Democratic Caucus put this out on Twitter. If we lose net neutrality, you'll get the Internet one word at a time. And so I said, look, that is objectively false. Like, there's just no debate about this. this. This Internet did not slow down. And nonetheless, you know, there's still some folks who say, no, it's still at risk. You know, broadband providers are going to start censoring content any day now. And it's, it's always the you know, sort of boogeyman that's right around the corner that we have to regulate against, as opposed to the concrete problems that we can see on the Internet, which is not any type of uh, stuff like this. It's more that people in rural areas don't have access or people in urban right. areas can't afford access. And those are the types of problems we need to be addressing, not this phantom of net neutrality, which to me at least is a solution that won't work and to address a problem that simply doesn't exist. Um, it is, 5G has been described to me as 4G being the size of a gar- garden hose and 5G being the size of a channel for all of the, in- <laughs> all of the information. I know uh, my wife just, uh, I don't remember where she was, but she used real 5G. And she, she, I mean, she never comments on speed unless it's really, really slow. And she said to me, oh, my gosh, Glenn, you can't imagine how fast it was. It was just like load, 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 load. It was just (laughs) there every time. Um, It's, yeah. Go ahead. Can you describe... 5G and what it will mean and how far we are away from that really being everywhere? I'm really excited about 5G, this next generation of wireless connectivity. And unlike some of the predecessor transitions we've had, you had 1G to 2G, 2 to 3, 3 to 4, 5G is going to be a leap, partly because of the speeds. You mentioned that uh, you know, 100 times faster speeds than 4G, a much more responsive network so that when you click on the link, it'll come up almost immediately. But it's more the fact that this technology will underlie all kinds of different industries. Uh, healthcare, for example, if you want to do a telehealth wi- visit with your doctor, much higher uh, resolution video, much lower latency, as they call it, so you can immediately see uh, what the doctor is looking at and all that kind of thing. It's going to be tremendous. If 5G with doctors means because the latency goes from 
what, 100 milliseconds to down under 10, which means in some cases you might be able to actually do surgery on the other side of the world with 5G. Exactly right. I mean, that, that is the future that's within grasp. And if you think about it, all these low latency applications from telehealth to gaming to you name it, that's a really big deal. Uh, so I'm really excited about the work that the FCC did over the last four years to help that potential become a reality here in the United States. So I just bought a refrigerator the other day and it said Bluetooth enabled. And I'm like, I don't want my refrigerator to be Bluetooth enabled. The amount of information that is going to be going out of our homes now with 5G, because it, it allows 5G allows everything to be smart, a smart item. Um, are you concerned at all about privacy and uh, and and just the use of all of this information on the American people? Absolutely. And this is why many years ago, I called on Congress to come up with legislation on the federal level to establish rules of the road for privacy in the digital world. We don't have that right now. And so what you see is some states like California taking the lead and essentially regulating on their own within that state. Or you see Europe implementing very strong privacy regulations and essentially multinational companies like Google and Facebook uh, abide by those same restrictions in the U.S. just as they would in Europe because you can't have different uh, privacy protections across uh, you know, across the world. So I, I think right now it would be great for Congress to sit down and put on the page some of those basic privacy protections. But the other issue related to privacy is security, Glenn. I mean, as you know, as everything gets connected, the network is only going to be strong as its most vulnerable point. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about 5G and security. There are companies like Huawei and ZTE, other companies in this space that could look to compromise some of our networks for their own gain, now, whether it's economic espionage or inserting malware or even more insidiously, the Chinese Communist Party looking to compromise security of networks to gain insights on where our national security is vulnerable. Well, people would say that blockchain is going to be really important for our security. But when we're at, you know, uh, what is it, 56 qubit uh, quantum computing, even blockchain is vulnerable, isn't it? I mean, now that we're getting into quantum computer uh, computing so fast, how are we going to be able to keep things secure? Uh, that's a really good question. And uh, that's part of the reason why a few months ago, before I left, I asked the FCC to organize a forum around quantum computing to understand what this future looks like. And uh, I don't pretend to have the answer to your, your question, but I do think it's important for the U.S. government to start thinking about quantum and AI and machine learning and some of these blockchain, these next generation technologies. It might seem futuristic, but oh, it's the here. future can become the present a lot quicker than people think. So, is, uh, one more question on privacy um, before we move on. The, um, um, it, has anyone suggested that all of my information belongs to me? It is it's mine. And if I decide to sell it, then I will make that decision and I'd make my decision on what parts of it I'd be willing to sell. This would not only throttle these uh, giant companies that are truly getting rich off of the backs of of all of us uh, through metadata and now really amazingly uh, detailed data on each of us. But it would also um, return our privacy. It would 
punish the the Googles of the world uh, financially by taking that incentive away from them. But they could buy it from us, which would also be something that the American people could make money on. Is anybody suggesting that? I, I have seen that suggestion in some quarters. In fact, I think there might be some legislative proposals floating around Congress along those lines. Uh, so I, I think that's one of the things that people instinctively get is that uh, the property right they might have, so to speak, in their own data is something that should be vindicated. Now, on the other hand, there's some who've raised some questions about that. For example, if you're walking along a road, um, and you have a smart tra- network, transportation network that is monitoring uh, you know, how traffic is going so that they can avoid hitting pedestrians and the like. Is that your data? Does it uh, also involve some public safety issues? I mean, there's some sort of gray areas there, but I do think there's a lot to sort out in this. You know, what is your data? Who owns it? How should it be used? These are the kinds of things that Congress needs to speak to. We don't have a framework right now for understanding that. And we need one desperately. I look at the bottom of my Alexa and I see that it has an FCC license uh, on it. And uh, I wonder if in some ways this isn't and I know this sounds ridiculous, but hear me out. A violation of the Third Amendment, which is the government can't you know, quarter soldiers in your home. Um, I feel as though the government isn't. But if they start to collude more and more with these companies, they kind of are. Um, aren't they quartering people, not the government, but these companies, aren't they kind of quartering people in our home if they are constantly going and listening to us and gathering information? I hadn't thought about that angle. Um, what I will say, though, the, just so you know, the SEC logo you see on the bottom, we're not licensing them. All we do is essentially authorize their equipment to say any device in the United States that emits or receives radio frequency or RF, uh, we have a responsibility to okay it. So we actually don't license those particular devices uh, directly. But I do think it's interesting that a lot of us rely on these devices that you pick up a lot of our conversations, uh, and they deliver a lot of value. But I think some people also have the concern, uh, you yeah. know, well, are they looking into everything? And so yeah, that, that's one of the things, too, that it's just a new world. This didn't exist when I was a kid, needless to say. When you, know, when you were inside the confines of your home, that was sort of this impregnable fortress, so right. to speak, uh, right. your own thoughts and data. So it's, uh, it's a much more complicated world now because of technology. We're talking to Ajit Pai. He's the former FCC chairman. He was appointed by Barack Obama and, uh, and uh, served under Trump as well. I think he's the best chairman uh, that the FCC has ever had. And he also is uh, somebody who I think really, because of his passion, has saved the Internet uh, from net neutrality, and we've seen how good the internet has become. Uh, you spoke earlier about when you were talking about hypocrisy, about the kind of controversy about big tech companies censoring uh, conservative voices generally. Um, and obviously, we have a right for free speech. We don't necessarily have a right to an audience on someone's private website. As someone who's a conservative and is very scared of of a federal intrusion on the internet. Um, I am worried about this sort of new idea from the right where there's a big debate going on, whether the government should step in and do something to these big tech companies. Where do you stand on that? 
Well, where I stand is what I've said for many years, which is that these tech giants increasingly are running social platforms that have become the new public square. And to the extent that some are either obstructed or prevented from speaking in that square, I think it's important for people to understand how are these decisions being made? Who, are, who is making these decisions and why? And I think the past couple of months have only illustrated the fact that we don't have any insight here. And for me, at least as a consumer, I don't care whether it's a network operator like your internet service provider or a content company like a tech platform. I just want to know, am I able to speak or not? Am I able to read what I want or not? And if I want to understand the rules of the road, and I think that kind of lack of transparency is what's frustrating a lot of people. Nobody knows what's inside the black box. So here's here's the deal. I've done broadcast for 45 years. I know what the rules are. I know what the FCC says. I know what's acceptable and not because the rules are very, very clear. Always have been. When we get blocked or we get dinged by some of these high tech companies, we usually don't know why. Hmm. And so I can't I can't make sure that we're in compliance if I don't know what it means to be in compliance. Exactly right. And that's why some of the decisions seem to be made as they go along. (laughs) I pointed this out last summer when I asked on Twitter, why is the supreme leader of Iran allowed to tweet out threats, Mm -hmm. essentially (laughs) urging the destruction of the, as he called it, the Zionist state and all of this nonsense, uh, whereas other people are not allowed to say things which are clearly not as far uh, as that, don't go as far as that. And I think it just goes back to, like I said, in November 2017, I gave a speech where I said, if you are really concerned about a free and open internet, what you need to be worried about is not net neutrality. It's the question of how these tech platforms operate free from any transparency requirements whatsoever. And I think people on the left and the right now, I would think, agree with that. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program, and we really want to thank you for listening. We have uh, Jeet Pai, the former FCC uh, chairman and commissioner, former commissioner as well, of the FCC, he was appointed by Barack Obama. He served under uh, uh, under Donald Trump, and um, and I think he is phenomenal on freedom of speech and regulation uh, being minimal. Let the free market work things out. Um, uh, thank you, first of all, for everything that you've you've done, Ajit, to keep the internet free and to keep our voices uh, intact. I want to I want to talk to you about something that is really disturbing now this is from uh congresswoman tulsi gabbard so she's on the left she said this weekend it is so dangerous uh this is an issue that democrats republicans and independents libertarians should be extremely concerned about especially because we don't have to guess about where this goes or how it ends when you have people like former cia director john brennan openly talking about how he has spoken with or heard from appointees or nominees in the Biden administration who are already starting to look across our country for types of movements similar to the insurgencies they've seen overseas that, in his words, uh, make up this unholy alliance of religious extremists, racist bigots. He lists a few others and at the end, even libertarians. Um it's dangerous because of our civil uh, civil liberties. It will mean that who could be scooped up uh, tomorrow? We don't know. 
I am very concerned about the freedom of speech on broadcast radio and the freedom of speech for those of us, not just the average man, but also those of us who they're talking about deprogramming or uh, licensing to be able to have a podcast. It's an unfortunate time for those of us who cherish free speech and the First Amendment. And that's part of the reason why I've been so steadfast in my defense of it, because I do think a defining feature of our democracy is that any faction that happens to be in power should not have the ability to define who is allowed into the public square and who is not. And I think that's a basic tenet of American democracy over the decades. Is that, you know, I may disagree with what you say, but I will fight to the death for your right to say it. I think that understanding has become frayed. And I think the First Amendment is even more important when we have a tribalistic political culture like we have now, because we don't want your ability to speak to depend on whether or not you are in favor with those in power. So I don't know what particular information Mr. Brennan was uh, relying on when he made those assessments, but I'll just simply say as a general matter, the First Amendment is important for all of us, even when we disagree with the message that we might be hearing over the airwaves. Are you concerned um, that the next FCC uh, commissioner and chair chairman uh, will erode some of these freedoms for radio? Are we in radio in a safe zone or not? I certainly hope so. I mean, I did everything I could over the last four years, last eight, uh, since I served at the FCC to make sure that radio had the, the ability to thrive into the next century. It's the oldest communications medium of, of addressing the mass market that we've got. It's older than the FCC itself. And to me, at least, I think it is one of the important forums for discussion of these types of issues. So I hope that the next FCC will embrace that. I'm a little more worried about what people will think on the digital side of things, uh, you know, over the Internet and the like, where, as I said, you have net neutrality advocates demanding certain types of regulations, but then on the other hand, demanding censorship on the Internet, which seems inconsistent with that. But hopefully radio can continue to be one of the places where we do still embrace that First Amendment value that all of us cherish. Do you know anything about the people that are coming in behind you? Yes, I served with all the four of the current commissioners who are there, including the acting chair. So you know, I do think they have a shared commitment to a public service, to the public interest. Uh, you know, they, I think they believe in the First Amendment just as much as I do. So uh, hopefully they will uh, stick by that. Uh, you know, that's been a bipartisan tradition at the FCC. And I think the most dangerous thing would be for us to get back into the game of approving licenses or doling out favors based on whether we agree with the political views of the would-be license holder. And that, that's just not what the FCC should be doing. It should be a market-based objective decision uh, not trying to look into a crowd and pick out your friends um i want to read a story to you and and just ask you your opinion on this and and i warn you that i i find what this man did and said to be disgusting and despicable but there's there's a sentence that had just been handed down that i cannot believe is um is constitutional A federal judge has ordered a Kentucky man who allegedly stormed the U.S. Capitol earlier this month not to make any comments about the breach uh, or the U.S. government online. Damon Michael Beckley, who was arrested by the FBI in Cubron last week, was released on conditional bond, which barred him from using the Internet to post about the rally, the Capitol riot rally, 
or matters related to the U.S. government. Uh, he was also prohibited from attending any rallies, protests, or demonstrations, and he must be now monitored by GPS. He said things online like, Vice President Pence, my name is Damon Michael Beckley. I don't appreciate this one bit, the situation you caused here, sir. We're not putting up with this tyrannical rule. If we've got to come back here and start a revolution and take all these traitors out, which is, should be done, then we will. I don't agree with that. I think that's abhorrent speech. But isn't this, as a federal judge, telling him he can't speak about the government or voice his opinion about the government online? Isn't that a violation of the Constitution? And isn't there any protection for him? Well, I certainly share your assessment of the comments themselves. Uh, This is an area of the law that's pretty well developed and one that I'm unfortunately uh, not as knowledgeable about, about whether uh, or not judges can restrain uh, the speech in this way. So I would probably had to defer until I had a chance to you know, read the brief, study up on that area of the law a little better. I know that this is something that has occurred in a number of cases. And uh, yeah, I'd want to have express uh, more informed opinion after yeah, okay. reading all that stuff. Um, t- tell me before we let you go, tell me the the thing that keeps you up at night and tell me the thing that you see over the horizon that really excites you. Well, in terms of what keeps me up at night, it is the security of our networks. I spent a lot of time over the last four years here domestically making sure the FCC did everything we could to secure our networks against uh, national security threats from the outside. In particular, I've been very outspoken about the Chinese Communist Party's determination uh, to dominate the world through technology and, in particular, to lead in 5G. And uh, that's something I think the we should all be worried about people don't hang on just a second people don't believe me when i say there is a a building i think it's in beijing dedicated all it is is the communist party it's their platform of hackers and they are hacking in and trying to hack into our pentagon i I can't remember it's some ungodly number of like seventy thousand attempts a day or something like that i mean they they have groups of people that this is their job to hack into our infrastructure. True or not? Uh, that's, we've heard similar reports, and I think that's part of the concern. And not only that, I mean, they've demonstrated that they are willing to export their anti-democratic values when it comes to things like the NBA or Taiwanese flag emojis or the like. Imagine what they would, would be willing to do if they had access to our telecom networks. That is a serious threat indeed. So, and, Why? Uh, Explain, that. Explain that for people who don't understand that. Well, so imagine if we had all of these 5G networks built in the United States. Everyone was using them on everything from smartphones to connected refrigerators to your cars to military installations. And let's say some of that equipment was built by uh, the companies like Huawei and ZTE, which are themselves subject to Chinese Communist Party rule. So what if the Chinese Communist Party said, you know what, we just want to see exactly how American consumers are using broadband. Let's see how broadband around military installations uh, is being deployed and whether we can get insights into things like troop movements or missile placements. I mean, all these kinds of things would be simply one request away from the Chinese government to Huawei and ZTE. And we would have no way of ever knowing that those requests had been made and that our networks had been compromised. And I think that is the risk. And that's why I've been so outspoken about the fact that I'm very bullish on 5G's potential, but we also need to think about security as a forethought as opposed to an afterthought. Once we've installed these networks, it's too late. You just can't put that genie back in the bottle. So we need to be very careful 
about this threat and not <laughs> and not have a rosy-eyed view of the reality of the situation. Final question for you. Um, wait, wait, wait. Didn't you give the... Well, you asked him a final question, then I want to hear his optimistic thing. Oh, okay. Well, I was just going to ask. My passwords are all set to one, two, three, four, five. Should I change any of them? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I would definitely urge you to change that. And, you know, don't, don't change it to password either. Okay. That's the one that I think is like, <laughs> yeah. probably not at well advised. Mine's password zero. Ooh. One, two, three, four, five. Oh, that's really good. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, tell me what you're excited about. Tell me, tell me what's on the horizon that... You say people don't understand how game-changing, in a positive way, this could be. I think what I'm really excited about is just the new influx of broadband-based technologies. You know, when I got into this business, broadband essentially meant telephone lines being souped up with DSL mm-hmm. to deliver relatively slow service. Now, at the end of my tenure at the FCC, we've authorized low-Earth orbit satellites, companies like SpaceX, to deploy broadband from space at a really high speed. Mm. We've also encouraged electric utilities to get into this business since they have a deep footprint across rural America. We've encouraged, we've had a huge influx of spectrum thanks to our decisions that allow fixed wireless companies to enter the space. I guess all of which, what I'm trying to say is all of these different technologies are finally being unleashed through the power of the market to deliver connectivity to American citizens. And uh, to me, at least broadband is more important than ever. And I'm really excited to see how all these companies using all these technologies technologies are able to innovate for the benefit of consumers. It's going to be a really exciting decade to come in that regard. Are you at all concerned? I mean, I was going to ask you what's next for you, but you were appointed by Obama, but you actually uh, served also under Donald Trump and they're going after anybody that served with Donald Trump. You concerned about your future and what's next for you? Uh, No, we, we had the privilege of being an independent agency and I led in that spirit. I you know, kept all the political nonsense uh, in Washington at arm's length to the extent I could and uh, did the best I could. And I think you know, on a lot of the issues, uh, they didn't have a partisan sheen at all. For example, establishing 988 is a three-digit number for suicide prevention and mental health and making sure people with disabilities had access to technology. I mean, the, all, the bulk of our work was pretty nonpartisan. Uh, so as for what the next adventure is, I'll have to wait and see. But one of the things I found in my career is that it's just such an amazing country that you, you just work hard and you try to be in the right place at the right time and something will present itself to you. So I'm so grateful for the privilege of having the chance to serve and look forward to the next adventure being just as intellectually stimulating and rewarding. Ajit, uh, I would love to do a uh, long form uh, um, interview with you on our podcast. I've, I've got a lot of uh, questions on security and, uh, and uh, technology that is coming. I would love to pick your brain. So if you have time, some point I'd love to have you as a, podcast gaps well sounds good let's let's i'd love to talk about it let's figure out what won't work and uh and again thank you for your service you've been great at the fcc thank you thank you thank you well i can't say enough how much i appreciate the kind words glenn Uh, i really appreciate the the support from everybody out there in the country thank you god bless ajit pai he was now leaving uh the fcc as the fcc chairperson (laughs) 